at an event and there was a fellow there who came up to me and asked for some advice about running his Facebook page. And I said, who are your clients? You know, there were doctors and lawyers. And I said, are they on Facebook? Is that how they do their procurement? Understand who you're talking to. And he looks at me and he goes, no one's ever asked me that. Everyone just said you need a Facebook page. Welcome to episode 146 of Be The Drop, a weekly interview podcast sharing stories from people who inspire and motivate others to help you learn how to tell your story. I'm Amelia Ville, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. Understanding business publishing within content marketing is one of the most critical of marketing's key elements. Marketing in the digital world is really a function more than a role now, given that the remit is so broad. Seeing one aspect of this function as a publishing capability provides SMEs with a powerful tool to help them grow their business. Letitia Mooney is a publisher and content specialist and Queen Pixie at her business, Brutal Pixie. Letitia has published three books, written boundless blogs and directed content departments of many businesses, giving her the expertise to train others, consult and publish great content herself. In today's episode of Be The Drop, we delve into the hearts and minds of audiences, exploring the practice of creating content and discuss the many facets of marketing in today's digital world. Letitia explains her approach to content marketing and the value of business publishing to SMEs. This is Letitia's version of Be The Drop. Are you considering starting your own podcast? At Narrative Marketing, we deliver a full range of podcast production options. Or if you'd like help getting started to produce your own content, I also deliver podcast training programs. Hit the link in the show notes for more. Letitia, thank you so much for joining me on our next episode of Be The Drop. Thank you for having me. To get us started, you've got your item of significance and that's something that gives us a bit of backstory about you and what you do. So can you share that with us? It's a book. It's called Music Journalism 101. This book was really my entree into publishing as a self-published author and it came out of working and mentoring music journalists. When I had my music magazine, I had writers and photographers in every city of Australia and all literally all over the world. And what I discovered when I was doing it was that I was trained as a critic, but most music reviewers are not. They fall into the job. So I was always mentoring them by email and I thought, you know, this is really stupid when I could just write blogs about it and teach them that way. So that's how I started. And then people started reading them and then they were asking, oh, this would be awesome, really need a book. So I produced the book and that was really like the turning point for me. So that's I brought the book. Fantastic. Well, there's so many different bits and pieces that I'd love to unpack in there and know more about. So this was your first book. How many books have you since published? Two more. Two more. Two more that are available to be purchased. I just finished writing my first fiction book two weeks ago. Fantastic. So, you know, you mentioned that it was a real, a turning point for you, a turning point to where, like, so where do you think that's kind of led you now? Well, that's a good point, actually. Now I talk about my own business as bringing publishing capability to other businesses. This was really the turning point for that because I was teaching not only people how to um, write, 
but in a sense teaching myself how to publish myself as an author. But this really became the business side of it and I didn't identify that for a long time until I realised that I was making money off this book by just having a book. Like it earns me money every quarter. I don't have to do anything to do it. Mm. Um, And that was absurdly easy for me to do. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And I, I love that you say it was absurdly easy for you to do. How was it easy for you and what are some tips you would give someone to help make it easier? So to illustrate what I mean by ease, my second book, which is called The Art of Postcard Writing, was a dare. I had a friend who was living in Germany who came to visit me um, during my wedding and I took her back to the airport and on the way she pulled out a whole lot of postcards yeah out of her bag and she's scribbling on them madly she goes I hate doing this and then she goes I dare you to write a book about how to do this better and to have it on Amazon by the time I get back to Berlin. I said, game on. Then I was like, oh, it's not really anything. It was like 25 tips or something. How to do short travel writing needs pictures. What am I going to do? Oh, I've got some postcards. I can write some bogus stuff on postcards, take photographs or scan them or whatever, and add them as illustration throughout the book on some generic template, pulled it all together and had it in through CreateSpace on Amazon before she got back to Berlin. Now, (laughs) so in terms of ease in that sense, it was easy for me because one, I already knew the process. Two, I already had a bank of ISBNs, so which are the codes that go on every book. And if you publish them, then every format requires its own code. But if you have one and you have cataloging and publication, which is from the National Library. So there's all of those little things in the background that I already had. Yeah. And I already had all of the accounts and I knew the process and the templates and all that stuff. But for people who are going, yeah, but you wrote a whole book, which my biggest tip to anyone who wants to write a book is just blog it or, you know, podcast it. If podcasting is your thing, you can do it that way. And then if you have a podcast, you get someone to transcribe it. So then you've got the content. After that, it's a matter of making sure the shape fits, but you've already got the material and the feedback and you know what works. Mm, So you've just blown it out. Like it's not hard. It's not hard. (laughs) I know, right? But I really love that tip though, because this is something that I don't think people do. We are creating content all the time. And I, sometimes I look at, you know, my website and the catalog of of content we have and, and Chris, my videographer and I would talk about it and go, wow, we should really put this together or that together. And yes, there's work involved in that, but potentially a lot less work in all in creating the new stuff ongoing. So. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's one of the capabilities that I bring to people. And the challenge, right, is that people think about it after the fact instead of ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Once you understand that, you can build the capability that way. So you say, okay, we're going to write a blog, yeah, but we're going to do it over this period of time on these topics because we want a book out of it here. We want to do a podcast here and they all fit together and meet also the mission and purpose of your business, like overall. So it's actually building an internal business in a sense to mm-hmm. do that, which is why then afterwards you look at all of the material you've got you've got, and you go, oh, this would have been great if I hadn't kind of got distracted and gone down this rabbit hole for this six months here. Mm, absolutely. And when we talk with, with clients around creating podcasts now and we look at creating seasons, mm. we do exactly that. Same you thing. know, What is going to be your season focus? And 100% easily at the end of that, that season could create a book. 
So really this concept you're talking about is that every business is a publisher. Yeah. yeah. So it's just about how do they tap into that? Yeah. It's a really different way of thinking about marketing. People approach business like, I've got a business, I need to market it. They do social media marketing and they might do podcasting. They have these all of these great ideas, largely because people who are founders are ideas people. But marketing is enormous and a lot of digital marketing is publishing focused because it is writing and producing stuff or recording videos and producing videos or recording podcasts. And at its core, it's a publishing capability. Mm. I know that already when I have conversations with clients, there are so many aspects, as you say, marketing is really big big. and there's many aspects of marketing they don't understand. Mm. So how do you then communicate publishing? Because I feel like that might, they're like, oh no, but we don't need a book. How do you explain where that value sits? Typically it starts with a question. So if they have the vision of like the pain of publishing blogs consistently, which loads of business people have, right? People go, oh, yeah, oh, man, it took so much time. I didn't know how to, you know, generate ideas for it and we didn't have enough topics and then no one would approve it and then, like, I didn't know how to do it and blah, blah, blah. Like all of these pains just spill out of people. Like they don't realise they were publishers. So that's a really good entrance for me to say, well, you had a publishing capability but probably not the workflow to support it. And then people go, oh, right, because if you say the word publish, people instantly think of books, even though when you hit publish on WordPress, for example, (laughs) you are actually in the act of publishing. Once people understand the breadth of publishing and how many of those tap into their marketing goals and et cetera, it's much easier for them to understand it. But you would know this too. People don't approach marketing from the perspective of here is my mission, purpose, intention, strategic plan for my company. Here is why I need to do these marketing things for these people. Here are all of the reasons why this is a good idea for us to do it. Oh, that sounds so nice. sounds so nice. (laughs) Typically people are like, I've heard I need to do this thing. (laughs) I have a really good example about that. I was at an event and there was a fellow there who came up to me and asked for some advice about running his Facebook page. And I said, who are your clients? Like your intended clients. You know, there were doctors and lawyers. I said, are they on Facebook? And he looks at me and he goes, "Um, do you need a Facebook page? Are they going to be on the internet all day long? Is that how they do their procurement? He goes, no one's ever asked me that. Everyone just said you need a Facebook page. (laughs) And I said, well. Do the thinking first. He's been talking to the wrong people. The wrong people. Right. Totally. I know. And I, yes, because I, and marketing is bad at that though. We sort of make everyone feel like everyone needs everything, (laughs) which is not the way it goes. But yeah, so I, yeah, I love, I love these concepts and I really think that that's where it is. And I mean, for me in, in podcasting, I now get media passes. Certainly when I started the podcast, you know, in 2016, I didn't actually understand that. Like I I'm media because I am legitimately a publisher and it wasn't something that I realized, you know, until I was actually, you know, in it. I went, oh, good. The interesting thing about that comment is that people don't realize that they are publishers when they do these things. Mm. However, there are laws that specify that you are a publisher if you do particular things. So, for example, I think it was the Claremont murders trial in Western Australia. There was a gag order issued by the court to shut down any commentary, but it included social media, bloggers, etc., because they're characterised as media. So even if you have a blog, 
you are legally a publisher. So when you think of yourself as a publisher, then it also says, what do I need to comply with legally? How do I structure that? How do I, how do I mitigate any risk? And it, it inspires different thinking. So it's really interesting. But, yeah, it's often not until someone has a media pass, for example, mm. which I had, used to have loads of in my music journalism work, but it's the same thing. People don't think about it. So you have had quite a few different experiences along your business journey. Is there a standout lesson that you've learned? I mean, it's probably hard to pick. So hard. Uh, but one that you can share with listeners and something you learned and tips that they might take away from that. Oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. The burnout lesson. It's very topical right now. So I'll tell you a little bit of the story and how I learned that lesson. Yeah. And how I learned it again and again <laughs> and again. <laughs> So I have to explain having writers and photographers in every city of Australia is one thing, but when you have them also in Brazil, Mexico, the USA, Canada, all of Scandinavia, the UK, India, South Africa, you are literally working across every time zone in the world. The issue with that is once the shine wears off, you realize that people in other parts of the world expect you to be awake when they are awake, mm. which is the only significant problem of running a business from Australia. So what I found myself doing unexpectedly because I was dealing with these people and organizing access to shows, so I was dealing with their PRs who are typically overseas, I ended up sleeping about three hours a night, seven days a week for about four years. And that was just business as usual for that. Then add on top of that the news cycle, which never stops. And the music industry has a particular timing to it, which anyone who's worked in music industry press understands it's really tight. What would happen is I would send you out to a show. You would go out and enjoy the show and try not to get pissed while you were there, absorb all of the components of it, and then you would come home at, say, midnight or 1 o'clock, then be expected to write all of the impressions and do a good job and turn it around by the next morning. That's really tight. And if you're a photographer, then you also have to download, sort, edit, compile, all of that and turn it in typically within 24 hours. But then you add the news cycle to that and you're competing for news to break news and do all of that stuff, which doesn't stop. Um, and then you have the business as usual of trying to work out how to fund it, trying to buy advertising and do all of that. And then somehow pay your rent and eat. So the first lesson of the burnout lesson was when I decided that I needed to exit from that, I was not in a state to do that properly. There were no co-working spaces. There were no startup groups. There were some business enterprise centers, but I didn't feel like they were my people. They seemed to be middle-aged oh, no. people yeah. who were consultants. And I was like, they won't get it. They've never done this kind of work. So I never approached anyone. So I didn't have any support in order to kind of take a back step away from what I was doing, which is the first big red flag, right? Have a support network. The second one was that when I decided to exit, I was actually starting to get unwell. And um, so all I did, instead of doing what you're supposed to do, which is, you know, value your business and find out ways of finding buyers and doing all this stuff, all I did was issue a press release. On this date, I'm turning it off unless someone buys it. <laughs> if you've ever studied any negotiation the worst thing you can do is tell someone your timeline so I was really lucky someone did at the 11th hour for way less than what it was worth and you know 
Anyway, the pattern though of that work is something that kind of stays with you in all the things that you do. So when I was employed by somebody else full-time, I threw myself into that job too, volunteered for all of the early starts and the late nights and then got really sick in that job too. Surprise. And to the point where I got pneumonia, was not allowed to work. So I had to stop. And when I came into Brutal Pixie, like after all of this stuff, the first lesson was, how do you actually want to live? Um, and that was the biggest, biggest lesson for me. Oh, fantastic. Thank you for taking us on that journey. In, in designing your life, what are the key things that your focus is? So the first thing is to put yourself first, which women particularly hear all the time, put yourself first. You know, you're not secondary to all of these other people or things that you want to do. And most of us go, that's nice. How do I do that? Because <laughs> we've never, no one's taught us how to do that. But for me, that came down to lifestyle design. And if anyone follows me on Twitter, they see me bang on about that constantly, like design your life, which actually means if you are waiting for a time in your life to live your best life, what are you doing today? Actually, like, are you going to wait until you're 65 when you're retired to live your best life after having an entire life doing something else? Like that's, to me, that's disgusting and ridiculous. So I decided to shape my life the way I want to live it today. I have two phones. That is one thing. I have one for business, one for me. And the me phone has no business things on it. I can't even access my business emails on it. Like there is no, there are no calendars. There's no social media. There's no banking. There's nothing. It's just personal life phone, business life phone, which means that because I have dedicated work hours, which is part of the design, um, I work from seven till four. I turn my phone off at four o'clock and I don't turn it on again until eight or 10 o'clock the next day. The other thing is I decided to have weekends off and not to work nights as well. And it just sounds like I don't work at all, right? <laughs> After all of this. Um, and at the start of last year, began having Wednesdays off to focus on my personal creative writing which forms professional development, realistically. Mm, well, and you've just finished a, a book of fiction, so I assume that happened on Wednesdays. Yes. <laughs> yes, in Wednesdays. 30 Wednesdays. Is the book called Wednesday? No. <laughs> no, actually. You should include Wednesday in the dedica dedication. I should. I really like, and particularly this idea, and I, I, it was very interesting. I was literally just talking to Fiona from DIY Digital um, the other day about, I think she's just writing a blog on this, mm -hmm. about parameters for freelancers or right. founders, etc. Yeah. and talking about phones and when's acceptable. And because mm. I think now because of our um, contactability and our every, everybody's sort of our urgency for everything now, you know, so this then flows on so that people get messages and, you know, emails at all sorts of time. True. And is there an expectation to answer them? But you've, you've circumvented that and, well, you're off. Has the benefits then, has that really helped? Have you seen the results? Yes, Oh man. So the first critical result really was not so much in, in the little things. I mean, I have seen benefits from that over time. The most immediate benefit for me was taking Wednesdays off because it forced me to squish all of that work into four days a week, it forced my business to become efficient. Fantastic. Just try it for 30 days. So it's 30 days, not going to kill you because it immediately says to you what is important today is it going to take something out of your 
work days. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I've done the same thing. I have Monday mum days. Mm-hmm. You know, I try very hard not to work on a Monday and I'm with my three-year-old. So beautiful. That's, you know, and, and the work has to get done in the other days. <laughs> Did you find that you got more efficient? Um, look, yes, I do the things that have to get done first. And Tough that's more lesson. around because of my time frames. Yeah. The second benefit that I had found is that I trained my clients. <laughs> so they don't realize they've been trained most of the time, but they know that I'm not available Wednesday, so they don't bother. They mm. know that if they call my work phone at 4.30 on a Monday night, it'll go to voicemail. And they know that I probably won't call them back till after 10 o'clock the next day because content is a manufacturing business and you need to dedicate the time to do that creative work. But the long-term benefit is I can just switch off. People say, I don't know how to switch off. I'm like, do you not have hobbies? Like, do you structure your life? Like, what else is in your life? It is your entire life your work because that's a really dangerous place to be. Okay, so we have talked a bit around communication and, you know, you're helping people tell their story and capitalising on this publishing concept. But what would you say are your top two or three tips for communicating, helping, you know, tell your business story or tell your story or just get your information out there? Mm. First one is understand who you're talking to, which, you know, for marketing people, we say all the time, who's your audience, right? Lots of people stop at demographics. They don't get into the hearts and minds of who their people are. So if you're in, I don't know, pick an industry, a fitness industry or a weight loss industry or something, there are forums where these people talk to each other all the time. I'm struggling to do this, or I've tried this and it didn't work. What have you done? And these conversations exist way outside of the fact that they live in Burnside and drive three cars and their kids go to this particular school. They tell you so much more about how to relate to them. The second thing is to stay in that mindset. What I mean is when you're communicating with your audience in any particular way, know not just who they are, but understand that that's what drives all of your, all of the materials that you create for them. Like what What are they excited by and what phrasing do they like and who are the TV characters that they resonate with because you can leverage it in your materials. So channel your customers. Channel them. That's a good way to put it. Yes. (laughs) Um, The other, the third thing is just to not be afraid to do things differently. If everyone in your industry is producing videos or doing things in this particular way, why do you need to do it that way? I don't know, send them love letters or birthday cards or do something that's really out of the box because that that uniqueness is what endears your clients to you. Yeah, and because, I mean, the things, the the businesses you remember and the ones that made you feel something. It throws something really different into their world. Well, and and one thing I have got a question is about Brutal Pixie as a name for your business. How does, like, what sort of responses do you get? I I mean, I love it, but, you know, particularly, say, in conservative industries, et cetera, how does that go down? They're like, who, what? Typically, if I'm introducing my business, people say, what's your business? I say, Brutal Pixie. They say, pardon? Because they're not sure that they've heard it correctly. But I was warned by people when I first came out into this business I would never work in law. I would never work in government. I wouldn't work with conservative industries because it's too confronting and weird and whatever. But people love the pixie. I think in the first two years of the business, I was asking people all the time, 
what do you see in the logo? What does it say to you? What messages are you getting from this? Because I was so uncertain. Uh, and they were generally really positive. People see um, honesty or there's, there's a no BS factor because she has a cleaver with blood on it, you know, in the logo, yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. I know. We'll have to make sure we share a copy of the, of the logo as well so listeners can see because yes. it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. What's been the, res- re- the response to your superhero yeah, with people? Well, and also the T-shirt, I love storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's really good. It's similar in, in what you said, people like it. And also I think because I'm a creative, oh, I, yeah. I say that in inverted <laughs> commas, I love it. Who knew? I'm a creative. And so it just gives me an extra license. I feel like we can get away with wearing quirky stuff. Actually, there's almost an expectation. If I was, if I didn't, you know, if I didn't have some superhero something or something like that, then maybe it's because I'm not very creative. I find that it's interesting when you have something that's quirky, it does give you that license to do something different. Mm. You don't have to find the courage to do it. No. It's, it's, yeah, as you say, it's kind of expected. Yeah, I mean, I must admit now I kind of want some different coloured ones because I'm getting sick of the <laughs> same colour. So watch out. That'll be coming. I love them. <laughs> I should have worn my pixie T-shirt. That yeah. would have been great. Oh, gosh, that would have been good for the photo. I know. All right, well, I think we've come to the end of it. I normally finish my, up with, in conclusion, sharing a be the drop tip. So that is your top tip for communicating with influence, you know, telling your story in a way that motivates and inspires action from others. My top tip for that is to lose your fear about offending people. If you take, um, like I send daily emails to people with tips every single day, and the key thing about doing something like that is you have to lose your fear about offending people and own your opinion. People aren't interested in bland, samey kinds of stuff. They want to hear what you think about something. And if it offends them, that might be okay because they will probably still love you, (laughs) you know. Um, Depends on what the offence is. You don't want to do anything terrible or racist or disgusting. But you're allowed to stake your opinion and say, actually, this is what I believe and this is why, because people buy into that belief. They want to build their own communities. So that's my biggest thing for people to take away. Really good sage advice because I think in an era where people are, we're very worried and censored around offending people or saying or doing the wrong thing, which to a degree there's some, some oh, relevance in that totally. and important. But then it, how far does that go? So I think great advice. Fantastic. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that.